Welcome to We Only Talk Hockey. I'm Shane. My co-host is Mike. And so starting off, uh, there was a catastrophic COVID outbreak, I think is the only word to talk about it. I think the general theme of the North Division has been the COVID outbreaks with both Montreal and Vancouver. Uh, It's just the overall theme, if you want to call it that. Yeah. Um, Montreal's though was shorter, like much shorter when they had it. Like they're still right now, only currently, I think two games behind on average other teams in the North, but like Vancouver hasn't played a game all week. Um, And in the entire organization, I believe the last count was 22 and not just out because of protocol, 22 positive tests, which is kind of insane. And I think what what it's very it's of course this is an unprecedented year and of course everything like we talk about COVID like what does it mean like there's the ability like there's the potential that some players like really can't come back. I remember with uh, there are some players who got were on the COVID list earlier in the season that were out for a week or two weeks or even three weeks just because of the side effects and it really it, it can really like affect. I mean this whole the whole outbreak just can really affect vancouver i mean montreal it might start affecting them down the road in the sense like a bunch of games pile up but with vancouver it's twofold the ton of games and uh people getting all back the players yeah. yeah all the players out yeah one um, big example like honestly i want to say on the whole covid thing in general this year so far it has not been terrible you know there have been games moved around but there's not been any huge thing until this vancouver incident but like montreal yeah they'll have a couple games piled up but they're still close enough i think vancouver's going to be in trouble because they're going to need to get a good amount back from covid and even then like an example that i like was Ilya Samsonov was out like three weeks. And when he came back, he had to do time in the, in AHL because of conditioning and everything. There are a couple other players. It's just, it's, it could be real bad for Vancouver. And I think that just seals my last week's take of, I think it's going to be Montreal making that fourth spot. Yeah. I think we both agree that Vancouver is going to be the team that's most affected by the COVID thing. I think, yeah, it's very similar. I was thinking about this, of course, a football reference where Miles Garrett quoted, he said, COVID kicked my butt, which is like, and it's very similar where like some of these players, like when they, we talk about like, oh, you're an athlete, like you don't feel the symptoms or you don't really know, you don't really like it's asymptomatic, but like some of these players really, it can really affect like how they play for weeks or if they can play for weeks. And yeah, I think I think we're both in agreement that Vancouver is in real trouble down the stretch for the season. Hundred percent. So I guess uh, on the note of the North, uh, so I guess let's start with Toronto because uh, they play the Jets. There's there's like two notes for there's from, from the Jets and then there's the Maple Leafs. So they beat the Jets over the weekend last weekend. Uh, in both games, and I think what really stood out from those games, and then they just played Montreal recently, and they uh, won, I believe, 3-2. What stands out is how Toronto is winning now, and I think it's like, what do you take away? Do you take away that it's great defense, or do you think that 
now that they have Jack Campbell playing as good as he is, has been playing, they actually have a goaltender that, that really makes the difference. What is your takeaway, I guess, from Toronto, especially from that series? I think their defense has improved. And I think just in general, over the last like couple of years, like a lot of people have like been like, what's the issue? And their defense was never the best. It was never like terrible, but you didn't expect it to come up the biggest in the big moments, but their goalie has over the last couple of weeks, I think been playing better than he has been all year. Not that he's been playing bad, but um, so that's my main takeaway from the Maple Leafs so far and their just ability to strike at any time. Well, it's interesting because Jack Campbell was not the starter at the start of the season. It was Frederick Anderson was the starter. And since the start, since, I mean, recently with Frederick Anderson struggling, Jack Campbell's come on and become like a very viable starter for the team and a very, and a very, and has been playing great. But also like, yeah, I think, I think the big thing is that Toronto this season has depth on defense. They don't just have like one or two good pairings. You look at like how Justin Hall has played. You look at how uh, Morgan Riley has played, Jake Muzzin. You just look at, and it's like they have a deeper roster than I think many people give it, give them credit for. I think because a lot of people see, see the Maple Leafs as Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, that top line and all the goals they get there. But you just look, they have a deeper roster, and especially on the defensive end, which I think we saw against the Jets in that two-game series. Yeah. yeah, and on the Jets in particular, um, I still personally think, I don't know how much overall we can take from the two-game series, but I do think Montreal, uh, not Montreal, <laughs> Winnipeg, has a very good shot in the playoffs. We'll see. But I do think those chances are uh, kind of diminished uh, with the uh, injury to Wheeler. Uh, They're obviously like hockey being very vague about it and just saying out indefinitely with concussion like symptoms. Didn't even say he had a concussion, but I was wondering about that. But like I on the Wheeler note, how bad do you think losing Blake Wheeler is for the Jets? Because like, because I have like two sort of takeaways from the from losing Blake Wheeler for the entire season. I want to hear like how your your take on how bad how bad not having Blake Wheeler Wheeler would be. Well, honestly, you don't think of him as much as you do other captains in the league. Mm-hmm. But I think I think where he's the best for that team is in the locker room and as a motivation and like as a leader more so than necessarily as the great star. He's great, but I'm like, I think his biggest impact is in how he can lead that team. So I'm hesitant to say it's going to be a huge impact because you occasionally see with injuries like this, um, people rally around that team. Sometimes their emotional leader, but We'll have to see. I think it could be a big issue, and I think it could not. It's. I think we got to give it at least a week to see how they respond. So my takeaway, I have two. So the first thing is, of course, losing a star, a scorer in the. It, it, he was a top line scorer, but the overall depth of the of Winnipeg's offense does take a hit. 
Winnipeg has had a great offense this year, like basically through all four lines. It's 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 been playing well. So losing Blake Wheeler hurts. In the context, another story that happened this week was Brandon Gallagher. I think is uh, on long term IR, and you just see a lot of other rosters that you lose a star player. It's happened. It it happens in the NHL. So in that context, it's not as bad. I think the other interesting thing is that with Blake Wheeler out, it does open up the window for Winnipeg to try to make a move. Is it ideal? No, but will they do it? It's very likely they will be active in the upcoming trade deadline, which is only like a few days away uh, with that, like with, because they now need the scoring depth. Yeah. I, I I get you, and I could see that. I kind of already thought they were going to make a move, not a very big move. I could see them now making a move for a, in a typical season, like a 15 to try to make to like a 15, 20 goal scorer, like in a typical season this year, not. But my only thing is they have such depth. Do you want to risk messing with it that that's why I think it comes at the worst possible time. I think if it came even just a week ago, they would have had enough time to see how the team reacts, even in a tiny sample size uh, without, uh, without him. And now the, with the uh, deadline on Monday, they don't really have time for that. So they're going to have to make a decision whether or not they feel it'll mesh. If it'll mesh without getting someone, I think they're in a tough spot. I think it's very interesting because, yeah, you talk about who they can really get, and it's really because Blake Wheeler was a very good distributor. The puck was very good. Like he didn't, he didn't pile, he didn't lot like blow away the stat sheet with goals, but he was really, he just really was a very fluid offensive piece. Really made the offense work. So I guess moving, shifting gears a bit, uh, we're now in the final like stretch of the season. We're in the home stretch, so. I don't really know who's going to win the cup. That's the best part about the NHL is you really can't tell at this time who's going to win, but looking at some of the teams, which teams would you say have like have basically blown their chance to make the playoffs or blown their chance to win the cup? Like I know of a few that like stand out, but like, I want to hear if you have any. So, stand so out to, to win the cup, I think is different, but to make the playoffs, I think the Rangers um, no longer have a realistic shot. They do, but they're behind by five points with two games in hand Boston has. So I don't see either uh, I don't see either the Rangers or Philly making the playoffs in any way, shape or form. I think the East has has its four. Uh, the top mm. might shift a little, but I think it's four there. and I don't know about the central, <laughs> the central, <laughs> that fourth spot is, is boggling to me, <laughs> but what it's do you very think interesting about that, one of the teams I was thinking about is Chicago where they were blowing, blowing it out of the water at the beginning of the season. They looked like a team that was like, wow, they're surprising everyone. They're in the playoff picture. They're doing really well. They've kind of dropped off recently. Do you think that they continue to fall or do you think that they'll just like, they'll rebound into the playoffs. So I don't necessarily, like, I'm not sure I would call it falling off. Like, obviously 
they're at a worse position now than they were before, but mm-hmm. I think it's more, they leveled off. You see this teams have fast starts or yeah. fast middles or whatever, and they level off to what they really are right now. And I think they're around a 500 team, you know, uh, maybe a little above, but I think they're around a 500 team. My only thing is they might get lucky because Nashville, <laughs> uh, I, mean, I think yeah. Nash, I think Nashville could sell by Monday. So it might change, but it's also that you have the Dallas Stars in the mix. Hard to tell what Columbus is at this time, but like uh, it's very interesting because I feel like Chicago, in a sense, because of how they've dropped off recently, even though that they have Kirby Doc back in the lineup, which is an incredible addition. It's it's very interesting that like I, they might be the team that I can say would win. The team that I'm thinking about that I feel really just blew their chance at making the playoffs and winning the cup recently has been the St. Louis blues who uh, I think, I believe they won tonight, Wednesday night, but they lost seven games in a row and they, they basically, yeah, they looked like a mess and they, they fell to the sixth spot. They fell behind the sharks. They fell behind the coyotes and they, they looked really bad. So like, what are your takeaways from like, would you agree that the blues have kind of blew their chance or do you think that it's really just uh, something that like they can figure out and still get into the playoffs? The only reason I would say, I think they can still get into the playoffs is because seven game losing streaks don't sustain like seven game win streaks. Eventually they Mm -hmm. come to an end and you get more of what the team is. Um, They are currently in fifth. Um, so I think they're definitely easily within catching the coyotes, but I, I don't think St. Louis just hasn't looked all that good offensively. It's, it's really, this is, this is the thing with why I say the blues are out more than at just like a seven game loser streak is they're talented, but they're not in the sense, like they have a great, they have a great top line or they all have a great top pairing defensively. They're pairing Tory Krug, I think, and Justin uh, Falk on the top pairing. But then after that, it really falls off. Same thing. Jordan Bennington is a good goaltender, but they don't really get good backup performances. And with the with the Blues, like they just they just lack the back end production, which has come back to bite them recently, and I think could just kick them out of the playoffs at the end of the day. I definitely think it's possible um, just because of how close they are and the fact that what recently made them drop out was that game losing streak. But I don't think they're a threat to anybody. I, I don't think them or Arizona really is honestly a threat to anybody. Would you say if the Sharks can get hot and get in, would you say they're a threat because of Martin Jones and you have you have some of the pieces – who have been there, done that, basically. Really, Martin Jones is the goaltender that it's like, yeah, he's he's he can catch fire. Do you think he that? I mean, if you're Colorado, for example, and you get the one seed, are you concerned most about the Sharks being that team that you have to face? Ah, so I see what you're saying. So after, so who would the Colorado least like to face? Personally, I might think it'd be San Jose just because of the. Um, experience but honestly I don't see San Jose making it but if they did I don't I don't think they pose a serious challenge in their own series 
I think where they might have the most effect is wearing down. So by the time you, like you see that sometimes a series stretches on a little longer than it's supposed to or whatever. And so a team is a little less, they take a little more nicks in that first round than a lot of people would expect. So like, yeah, I mean, I could see, I mean, the Sharks would be that team that would give the the avalanche that type of problem, I would think. I mean, I guess, uh, yeah, uh, on that note, I mean, it's really just, I mean, but yeah, it, as much as I think, yeah, they could pose a threat, it's just hard seeing anyone lose, anyone beating Colorado at this time, even though the Wild just beat the avalanche tonight. But like, they, they're, they're rolling. Like, do, do you actually, would you say that like they're just riding this hot streak or would you say that they're, they're the team to beat in the West? Just like, I, I, really quickly. While they've been, sorry, riding a hot streak, I also think uh, Vegas has been riding a little bit of a cold streak, even though they've mm. been kind of whatever. But I, so I think that'll even out. Um, in a full playoff series, goaltending wise, I trust Vegas more. Mm-hmm. Offensively, and I think most of the other roster, I trust Colorado more. Um, so I think it'll come down to how much that trust in Flurry and Flurry's ability will be able to lift them because McKinnon has been rolling as of late yeah. for I, Colorado. And I think with Colorado, what we saw recently with their hot streak was what happens when their entire roster is there and healthy. And we've kind of, we've discussed this uh, a few weeks ago or last week. It just, it's, it's just repeating the same storyline, but like when you have that healthy lineup, especially the healthy starting uh, uh, healthy starting line, like top line and top pairing, it just, it's hard seeing them lose to any other team, just like in terms of they outmatch any opponent, I guess like, yeah, I really, I really think Vegas ironically would beat them defensively just because they have a very good defense that nobody really talks about. Everyone really likes to think Vegas is an exciting team, but they win games with their defense, whether, uh, but they would be the team that I think that could pose that challenge. And I, I guess, think, yeah, I think Minnesota's too young uh, to really pose a challenge, but I think Vegas will give them a run for their money. Yeah. All right. I guess moving on a bit, uh, I guess I should ask you this. Cause like the, the, over the weekend, the capitals uh, swept the devils again uh, and they finished eight. No on the season. Is it a big, would you say it's a big deal or not a big deal that the capitals finished the season series eight, no against the devils. So normally in a regular year where you have four games, I wouldn't necessarily say it's a big deal. Um, because and I don't even think you can compare the fact that other teams have law lo- in the division have lost to them. I think it's, but I do think there is something to it because they're not just some bottom feeder crap. They were an exciting team that had scoring potential and whatever. I think it shows that they can play against those faster teams. Um, you know, those breakout teams, I don't think the 8-0 in of itself is significant. I think the kind of team that they were able to match up against uh, might be a little more significant. Yeah, I think the 
a team like the Devils is a good team to kind of see where you where you're at as a, as a team like where your defense is at where like because you can you can pile on the goals against the Devils defense but like how are you going to get how are you going to get those goals how are you going to also their offense is good on odd man rushes so but not really necessarily in the offensive zone and i think with with a team like the capitals that you kind of want to see uh how their defense overall plays which is a very important uh for their playoff chances and and so on so to see how they played against the devils basically to win every game and some of them make them ugly victories i mean win by a lot that is like the way the way that they want it kind of that's why i would think it's a bigger deal because like it is a big deal for the capitals because they were able to i guess they were able to show like defense against like, speed and yeah. you know kind of some of the things that they've struggled with in recent years is playing those their defense being able to hold up to those speed teams, those breakout teams, you know, mm-hmm. they're used to being able to create sustained pressure. Um, but being able to defend like something, a theme you've seen this year with them is they're often lower in the shot uh, shots on goal counter. Um, when in the past they've been very high up there, it was high volume. And now it's, mm-hmm very high rate of conversion and they're able to um, hold off onslaughts from other teams and those fast breaks and things that they've struggled with. It's kind of interesting because what, how do you think Zidane Chara, who isn't really a, a, he's kind of a slower defenseman, but who's arguably been the team's best defenseman over the course of the season. I mean, one of the best that is, uh, how do you think he has been able to fit in, particularly against the Devils, but overall, the overall just make, giving when you see their when you see these like tests like the Devils, you just see how do you think Chara fits in with their defense, like how he why he's worked so well, I guess. Is a good so, question. yeah. So the reason I think he's worked so well is, first of all, his pairing, uh, Nick Jensen. Mm-hmm. And give me a sec. I'll get to why. Um, but I also think the capitals have been on defensive in the last several years, much more of a offensive defensive team. Um, They have some defenders, but it's been a lot of, you've got Orlov who's very much a risk it kind of defender. He's been very good this year, had a, has had a great rebound year from last year, partnering with Schultz. And I think that's another thing, the partner and pairings, they finally figured out. One of the things that's been going on in the last couple of years was, Orlov with uh, Jensen or Carlson, same thing with Jensen yeah. with out Kempney. And I think them both having a solid partner, especially Jensen, who is very much a risk it kind of guy and a speed move the puck kind of guy, having a guy like Chara, who is much more sedentary to be able to like support him on the back end and not like Orlov who also wants to be charging in has really helped his game as well. Yeah. It, it's interesting. Cause yeah, he isn't, he is a pure like defensive defenseman, which is a complete contrast to like what I guess, not only like what the capitals are used to doing, but like what the NHL, uh, the young NHL defensemen have become or what the NHL is, ter- is turning into. Uh, 
so I mean, on the note of the Capitals, I guess, I guess, like, what are I? I'm trying to figure trying to figure out like what to take away from their mini series against the Islanders because the first game was an eight to four or something like that, like just a just like score, just like goals goals every other minute, uh, and then the, the second game basically was a game that yeah it looked like it looked like you could define it by Zdeno Chara. It was very like very gritty if you would or chippy it was just like hard hitting a lot of defense uh and you only had that one goal in the last six minutes of the game so what is your what is your overall what what are you what are your takeaways if there like what's the big takeaway that you have because i'm still trying to figure out like what what like stood out particularly from that mini series to be honest to be honest i throw out that first game I do whenever it happens. They happen in the NHL. You get these weird nights where goals are happening. Like both teams scored on their first shot. It They happen. You know, I wouldn't put so much stock in that fact. That second game, however, I do think points to a couple things. One is what the hell happened to <laughs> the capital scoring ability? Was it something yeah. the Islanders did particularly or was it an off night? Because normally they convert at a much higher rate. And so you would normally think you're going to see the Capitals win that kind of game two to one kind of thing. Yeah. Um, it's very interesting because I think, yeah, the Islanders defense is really good, but the Capitals usually have their answers for the Islanders defense. But like you look at how Adam Pellick and Ryan Pollock played against the top line of the Capitals. Yeah. I mean, but uh, it, it was an overall, I think the overall defensive game, the second game were really, I guess the first game you could say was a barn burner. I think that really spoke to not only how good the Islanders defense and goaltending duo has become, but how well the Capitals were able to play defensively and really on in goal, you had Vitek Vanacek, who had a great game, which I guess you could say goes unnoticed because he lost the game one nothing. Uh, so I, I, yeah, that's kind of what I guess like I would take away from the mini series, just how well the both teams have gotten defensively slash are defensively. I don't know if you you would. Yeah, they they both have been for years these very gritty, grindy teams. That's why their series and their games normally over the last couple of years since Barry Trotz went there to new york because some of that culture he left in washington it's very much a grit and grind physical beat the hell out of the other guy kind of game that they usually play and they have been for the last couple of years very very close games very one bounce win, wins the game kind of thing and so i think in a series it will it can very much come down to to that to that one bounce here or there reminds me of the islanders and capitals years ago in the earlier 2010s Mm -hmm. um where there were goaltending games of overtime four out of five game you know kind of thing so i think i think it's interesting you mentioned barry trotz because i think the big takeaway is you look at how both defenses play where they're they played very aggressively at the blue line forcing you to chip and chase forcing you to clear it into the zone and try to like get a steal a play. I think when you look at the capitals, they did, they did a lot of the same thing and it really forces you to kind of 
uh, escape with a few goals, trying to find a few goals where you can't find them. And I think that was very interesting to know, like not just that the Islanders are doing that with Barry Trotz, who's known for doing that, but the uh, Capitals were kind of doing the same thing in, especially the second game uh, in that, in that, in the mini series. And they played really well as a result of that. Yeah, I think it'll be a good series if they meet in the playoffs. I don't know who's going to win the division. (laughs) It's so close at this point. But I think one last point is this was in New York. um, Mm -hmm. And they won both games. Both games, the games prior were in Washington. And they were won by Washington. The games prior, like earlier in the season. They played all four in Washington, Rick? Maybe, may, I think they might have. Either three or four. They, yeah. And so I think, honestly, it might come down to that. I don't know how big of an effect it is, especially without fans, but I, the Islanders have had fans. Not a lot, but they have had fans. And I think whoever gets that one seed will have an advantage. Um because it does seem like this year it's where we're playing matters in this series, not necessarily in the whole conf- division yeah. conference, whatever, but in this series, it has seemed like there is a home field thing going on between them. I mean, yeah, it's interesting. I'm, I keep literally every other day I go back and forth between the Islanders and capitals on which team I actually believe is better and which team I think is going to win the, uh, win the division I mean, would do you do you have do you have the same like do you go back and forth every other day or do you like you have an overall pref not just a, not necessarily a preference but an overall perception of at the end of the day this team is going to uh, make it just because of whatever like they have like I probably yeah the cap the capitals so, for example because they just have been there before they've been the one seed so here's my thing one they have. Five years in a row, they've been the one seed. Yeah. But that's not why I think – I think it's – the Capitals have had weird stretches this year. They were good mm-hmm. early on. They had that weird two-week mess. And then from the beginning of February, they went like – they had like the best record in the NHL. And then since the start of April, it's been eh. So I think when <laughs> I think when when both teams are at the, their best, I think the Capitals would win it. But you think, see less often the Capitals at their best. I think I think an interesting point that we mentioned earlier is the the going eight no against the Devils. And as as people say, oh, it's not necessarily a good team. You need to beat those bottom feeders. Those bottom feeders that you beat up on are what get you the one seed or what get you the best record. So I don't know how many games left they have against the Sabres, but I think the Islanders only have two against Sabres and like whatever looking forward in the schedule. But those teams on in the bottom, you can't dropping those games is actually has leaves a ton of significance i think on that note that's actually why i think the capitals might at the end of the day i mean i go back and forth because like there are some days where i see how the islanders play defensively not just at their top pairing but one through six and i'm like there's there's no way that that defense can lose enough games but looking at the capitals because they were able to beat up on those bottom feeders like the devils and i guess how they'll play against the rangers how they'll play against the sabers 
moving forward. Maybe the Flyers also you want to add them into that mix. Uh, so, those teams beating up on those teams. Yeah, yeah, I guess you can go ahead. Are those yeah, teams that like so would do that? like I was saying, I think consistency might come into play. It usually does, but I mean, the Capitals have a more of a chance of being less consistent in any stretch. I think the Islanders consistency is better, but I think their ceiling is worse. So if the Capitals come into the series working, you know, moving, doing what they do best, I even if both teams are at their best, I think the Capitals win. If they're not at their best, I think it levels a playing field or gives the Islanders an advantage. And I think that's a very big possibility. I think the one thing I think about with the difference between those two teams, and this is really, I think, why Vitek Banachek's performance, the one goal allowed performance matters a lot, is because when I look at those two teams, I see the Islanders goaltending duo, Semyon Varlamov and Ilya Sorokin, have played incredibly. Both are allowing 2.2 goals per game or less. Uh so, and compare that to Vitek Vanacek and Ilya Samsonov, who have improved recently, but are better. Do you see, how do you see the Capitals goaltending compared to the Islanders? I mean, Islanders goaltending has been phenomenal, so it's not necessarily a fair comparison, but how do you see like the, the Capitals goaltending, I guess, moving forward, potentially in the playoffs or whatever? I think it's young. Um mm-hmm. So they're very streaky, you know, and they're more more prone to off nights, you know, both of them because they're young. They're more prone to giving up a four, five, six, eight game game because of their their immaturity when it comes to hockey a little bit and their lack of experience. But they, um, I don't know. It's it's funny. I think what will help them most is defining and this is a problem they've had throughout the entire lineup this year is defining what they are what their makeup is you know define who your top goaltender is figure it out um Mm -hmm. i think that in uncertainty gets into young players heads um and then you've got for for the playoffs when you need that one goaltender to really care yeah so I think you've got to make that decision in the next couple weeks. Um, and I think it needs to be evident. I don't think it needs to be like an internal thing where you're like, okay, this is our guy. I think it needs to be very evident. I need, think you need to have a string of like four or five games where one guy, like if there are back-to-backs or whatever, but like you had it almost the other week and everyone thought it was, it was they had Vanacek playing the bad teams and they had, uh, Samsonov playing the better teams mm-hmm. um, but then they stopped doing that and so I think they need clarity there and I also think they need clarity in their lines they have had injuries and whatever which has been a mess with their tiny cap to actually be able to do anything but I think they need some clarity so that they can build consistency because all that shuffling I know it's Peter Laviolette's way and in a longer 84 mm-hmm. game season I think they would have a better chance of ironing that out but i think he's gotta even if he doesn't like it as much or he think there's something he can do better he's a tinkerer and at some point you've got to stop tinkering and just give it your best shot yeah i mean i guess on the note uh staying in the east a little bit i guess we'll we'll talk about the islanders did today in the trade deadline but first i guess we should talk about how taylor hall kind of hasn't really played 
he hasn't he hasn't been in the lineup for the Sabres and the assumption I guess is that he's going to be traded so I guess the first thing is I mean clearly the Sabres have to do this I mean the Taylor Hall signing has been the exact opposite of what they were hoping for and just the overall the overall roster for the Sabres like chemistry hasn't been there you know He's great, but like you can see plays where he's thinking one thing and another guy's thinking a complete other thing. And it's like the yeah. chemistry just has not been there at all. It, it is crazy that a few years ago, Taylor Hall won the Hart Trophy and had an incredible season with a not good, not a good Devils roster. That was a, a pr- not, I wouldn't say bad, but there was willed them to the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, he willed them to the playoffs. And now has, I think, two or three goals and has basically become a liability for the Sabres offense. I think that speaks volumes. Uh I guess like I mean, really like just uh on the just like to quickly ask about Taylor Hall is like where can he go that he can revitalize his career? Because I feel like it might just be that Buffalo was like the worst destination and just like it's just like everything was going wrong and it didn't work for him. But at the same time, it just feels like Taylor Hall is like a very like who wants who wants someone who's only getting those those three goals, who has the talent, but really I guess you could say isn't isn't living up to it. I think he very much can live up to it. Like I said, I think it's a chemistry mm-hmm. issue in Buffalo. He played well with uh was it Arizona last year, I believe. Yeah, he was traded midway. So I think he he played pretty well there. I think it's a matter of he's got to find a place where he fits in. And Mm -hmm. honestly, you might be able to blame this a little bit on COVID. Uh, I know you don't want to do that. Like we don't want to do that, but not having an off season, a real off season to prep and train and get to know the guys and learn the system. Great. And everything i think it's a detriment you know how much of an effect that played versus just is there any chemistry there because i do think there's also the issue of he's an alpha dog i hate using that word but he's an alpha dog but they've got jack eichel they've got you know and i think i think it is interesting you mentioned the offseason because i'm looking at other moves that have happened and i mean like you look at some of the teams that added those one or two players and it's like those players have been almost perfect fits. I mean, just going back to Zidane Ochar at the Capitals, but Tori Krug on the Blues. Uh, you just look at some of these players that have joined and have become, I guess, either the best player or just have been incredible seasons. So it's very interesting why for Taylor Hall that it's just not worked that way. I think it's a little bit of an ego thing. He was. He was the MVP. He dragged this mediocre team to the playoffs. He... And I think it might, this might be a wake up call to him once he gets traded again. Uh, hopefully mm-hmm. it is because I personally enjoy him. Like, I, I think he's a great player. I love his play style, but he, I think he needs a little bit of a wake up call saying at this current moment, he is not performing like the guy he thinks he is. He has the potential to get back there, but until he does, I think he was a lot more humble before that that uh, that MVP season and then got hurt and he expected to be whatever and things just weren't really the same when he went back, got back to the Devils. And so I think it's very much a, he's got to realize where he is currently and he's got to work like he used to work to get back there. 
So I guess like the last r- real question about Taylor Hall is because like, yeah, we've talked a lot about Taylor Hall more than I thought we would uh, is he has a modified no movement clause in his, in his contract in his one year deal that he had, he's a free agent at the end of the year. So uh, that's also part of it. Where do you think he will, he'll get traded to that actually would be a good fit. I think we've, we've discussed this before, but where do you think, like one that he can really remove that no movement clause or modify no movement clause to get traded to. And two, like, where would it, where would it, which team would really make that move, even if it is pennies on the dollar? But like, which, which team is it the perfect fit where they want him? Taylor Hall wants to be there. And like, it, it's an overall like win win situation. So I don't know about this year, honestly, this year, but. Once he's a free agent, and I could see him being moved here and then whatever. I see two options at the end of the year for him. One is Seattle. Um, And my other thing is he could be traded to Minnesota. I know a lot of people aren't going to like that call or aren't going to whatever. But I see Minnesota as this team that's a little young, a little, you know, they've got Zuccarello or whatever. But. I could see him going there, but honestly, I think the best thing for him off season wise will be going to Seattle complete, fresh start, complete new team kind of thing. It would be interesting to see if, if, I mean, of course there's a whole idea of like who will Seattle take everyone's like all excited about their expansion draft and all that. But I mean, he wouldn't be even on the expansion draft list. He would just be a free agent. He could just join there. Uh, I'm I'm trying to think where I could see like I could see Columbus trying to get him, but just because like they've been they've they've been trying to do a ton of stuff there, but like he wouldn't want to go there. I wouldn't think, uh, like where yeah I don't I'm trying to think where where would Taylor Hall really want to go that would be like that's a good fit. Maybe Minnesota is what I said. Yeah. I, I I don't I don't know if Minnesota will be willing or wanting to do it. But I do think that's a young enough roster. And even though Capriel has been mind-blowing, for lack of he, a better it's, term. It's incredible. He, uh, he's, he's, very, he's very good, like, not only on creating an odd man rushes, but just getting in the zone, getting finding, finding office, pucks kind of like, and finding yeah. pucks. It's similar to, like, what Austin Matthews does in Toronto, except for he's, like, much younger. And still doing it, I think. I don't know if he's much younger, but like, because often Austin Matthews actually is younger than I think people think. But that's besides the point. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, I think he could go there. But I think, I think that Seattle thing would be real interesting to watch if he ends up in Seattle. Eventually. Yeah, if mean, yeah, it, it would be an, it would be interesting. I think it, that could happen. Uh, but anyway, I guess like our last note really is uh. Uh, back to the Islanders is Travis Zajac, Kyle Palmieri getting traded for, I believe two draft picks, one of which is conditional and uh, two, prospects. two prospects. And the catch is that doubles have to eat up 50% of the salary, which allows the Islanders of course, to make the move because they were in a tight cap situation. So, I mean, I, I like to say this is a win-win situation, win-win deal, just because it's very, I guess, safe to say that right out the bat. 
particularly like I mean this is what this is just what the Islanders I think needed I they needed depth scoring two scorers that they could kind of skaters that they could kind of put in the second line the third line even the first line just to kind of like figure Sp- out spread out going spread out goals to make up for Anders Lee is really what it's yeah. coming down to was really like Anders Lee was on the top line where you had Anders Lee, Matt Barzell, Jordan Eberle. That was your top line originally. But now with Anders Lee out, they're kind of looking for that third guy on the top line. At the same time, they could use someone to go to work alongside someone like John Gabriel, Jean Gabriel Peugeot on the third line or on the second line, which is an interesting line right now where you have like Josh Bailey, Brock Nelson, Oliver Wallstrom kind of rotates between lines. So I think this is a, I think this is a great, you get two veteran scorers. It's ironic because they also got Andy green last year. So they're kind of like becoming the devil's plus if you would in a weird way, Yeah. but, but like, but like, I think this is a great fit for the, for the Islanders who are trying to make a run for the cup uh, this season with their roster. What a, like who do you, who do I guess you say win the deal or what is your takeaway from this trade, if you would say? So trades like this are always hard to say who wins, who loses. You know, in this exact moment, New York because they've got players, while the Devils have prospects and trades. Two three years from now, we might be saying, "Wow, the Devils fleeced the Islanders." If they get a great, if one of the prospects turns out good, and one of the draft picks turns out great, you know. So these kinds of trades where it's players for picks, I think it's interesting you mentioned that because with Taylor Hall, they traded him to the Coyotes for a bunch of prospects, and the idea people are saying, "What are you doing? These prospects, if you're lucky, will work out." Well, when you think about it, those prospects, in the addition to the Devils, in the addition to the Islanders' prospects, if you get like one or two that really work out, all of a sudden you have a great roster. Yeah, Sorry, you have you a good. Go yeah, you have a good young roster, and it's a strategy. It's a risky one, you know. It can turn out horribly. <laughs> it could turn out like they got literally nothing out of this trade if nothing goes well. Because that first round pick, yeah, it's a first round pick. And first round picks usually play in the NHL and are pretty good no matter where it is. But it's still the Islanders pick. And they're probably going to be picking at least halfway down the draft. So they, um, but it, it, it could work out. But it's kind of they're biding on the long term, which also makes me think P.K. Subban might be on the move. Um, just because of how they seem to be biding for that long term, and he's not a long term thing, you know, they might keep him till the end of the year, but I don't see him coming back, uh, next year. I mean, it, it's very hard to move PK because I think he has he might have a modified no movement clause and he also has like a nine million dollar cap hit. It's just an overall Nashville all of a sudden looks like geniuses for trading him for pennies on the dollar because. Yeah, he really can't do much, but it it is interesting because yeah, it looks like the Devils are, I guess you could say, rebuilding again or rebooting Continu- again. I think they're continuing it. I think it's not a one year thing. I think they started getting rid of Taylor Hall. I I never agreed with that. I'm just gonna say I still don't agree with that till this day. Even how bad he looks now, I think he was a fit there. And I think yeah, he had a down half season after the injury, and then beginning of the next season. I would have stuck it out at least till the end of that year, but I get what they're doing. Um, 
And so, and so I think it'll be a couple years. I think it's, I think teams that try to reboot real fast occasionally works, but it's much better that longer road, you know, build, accumulate picks, prospects kind of thing and hope they develop, hope you get a, a good steal in a first round or something and first or second round kind of thing. And so I do believe they're gearing towards we're taking the long road here. Like we're going to try to win, but like we're taking the long, the long road to try and get this stable, not just a flash in the pan one year kind of thing, which can happen with big trades. I think they're trying to build for sustainability. We'll see how yeah. it goes. <laughs> Cause I, yeah, I think, yeah, they, they really have a lot of, pieces in place but they kind of need they need a they need those extra i guess you could say prospects but really just extra players to build around jack hughes to build around ty smith to build around those guys so i think yeah just like any like prospects really help with that that situation i guess you would say yeah and i think these prospects and these picks might take a couple years let's say two years jack Mm -hmm. hughes will have been in the league a while He's appeared to improve each and every year he's been in the league and the league in itself is shifting towards his style of play, which I think yeah. will only help him. And so he'll be a little older by the, not old by any means. He came in really young as first overall mm-hmm. picks and really early first round picks do. So I think he'll come in. I think he'll be a little older, a little more experienced when you start getting these prospects and whatever. And I think you could see them, make some waves in two to three years time if some of these picks and prospects hit all right yeah all right i think that's all the time we have for this week i i guess the uh closing statement for me you'll you'll uh, is i got my second dose uh yesterday uh so uh it for anyone who has reached this point listening like encourage everyone to get it you might feel uh side effects it might feel annoying afterwards but it is it is like it is worth it It is this is is the light at the end of the tunnel like this is like and it i feel like i feel like very relieved that i got it and like uh and everyone who can who can get the vaccine should and uh shane if you have any closing statements uh so my closing statements is essentially just um going out to Henrik Lundqvist, you know, Hall of Fame goaltender. He's uh he's finally really starting to get back from the open heart surgery and surprisingly it's starting to increasingly look like he might play later in the season. Uh maybe. So I totally forgot to mention that when we talked Capitals goaltending, but whatever. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's it's looking more and more like it's he's great to going see him to back. Play. Yeah. It's like the big thing. Yeah, because who does like he's been an upstanding player in this league for yeah over a decade at this point. So it's great to see him back and healthy. Um, just wish the uh, recovery continues on. All right, I think that's all the time. Thank you for listening. Uh, and uh, that's it for this week. <laughs>